I was just going to say, you got to hold it real close. I'm going to slurp right up next to the mic. So you can tell I'm drinking tea. Because, yeah, the, the one thing that I was like, uh, how many podcasts do you listen Or actually, we'll get into it in a minute. Okay. Um, how do I even want to start this? My name's Panos, and My I'm name here is- to say <laughs> I'm drinking tea. Tea. Uh, all right. So, yeah, welcome to Conversations Over Tea. My name is Panos. Uh, I wanted to put together a podcast of some sort because I got some really cool people in my life. I figure if I can convince them to come into my house, (laughs) have a cup of tea, uh, and, uh, you know, and have weird conversations that, if nothing else, I'll have some fun and hope that uh, some other people will have some fun with me, right? Yes, sir. So, this evening... Uh, or this day. I mean, you can't really tell if it's evening or day because it's a podcast. <laughs> it's kind of weird. We've got uh, Joel Dash with me from Saskatoon. Are you from Saskatoon originally? Uh, no, depending on what you mean. I've spent the most time ever there, but I'm not f- like I wasn't born there and I didn't really grow up there. Okay. So then where do you come from? Oh, my what goodness. <laughs> um, born in Hong Kong, grew up in Mongolia, North Africa. Um, and in between that, I kind of was back in Canada. Now I've been there in Saskatoon for like eight years which is a monstrous amount of time to spend anywhere yeah and did university there in the end of high school okay so it's like would you call it home because it's yeah because it's like the the place where you're more formative years yeah it's, it's weird because it's like the idea the concept of home has always been iffy for me um because like as a kid when you move so much i find that like you can't quite have a have a physical home you kind of have to like make do with just being like nah home will be wherever i'm at that being said saskatoon is where i go back to you know okay. it's where i got family so it's where i always go back to and okay. that makes it like as the home a little bit different than my other homes okay that makes mm-hmm. some sense uh so to try and make some semblance of a show i put yeah. together like some some random uh Ooh. segments yes segments that makes it feel legit um so uh, first one, uh, I'm calling warm up, um, because yes. I feel like whenever I have a cup of tea, uh, it, it kind of warms me up. You warm up. Yeah. And, uh, and I like the idea of like, for those playing at home, mm. if you want to put on a cup of tea, this is the time to do it. Uh, I did put on a pot, uh, of, uh, what do we got? Mint strawberry tea so that you can yes. taste, you know, taste the conversations that we're going along with. Um, but but I think a good warm up is uh, home. I think that's a really mm-hmm. interesting concept because, mm-hmm. like, for me as well, I'm from Vancouver originally, and you know, I've I've moved to Ottawa, and mm. you know, it's taken me. I moved in 2011, and uh, and yeah, the concept of home is is getting more interesting because I'm feeling like Ottawa's home now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took some time, you know. What would you miss most if you moved away from here? Now that it has felt a little bit like home. Honestly, the people are the things that are keeping me here. Mm-hmm. Ottawa has some interesting weather. Uh, it's it's more cold than Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it would be the people. Um, so me and Joel met uh, over poetry, really. Uh, and the, the yeah. people in the poetry community here are pretty solid. I have a couple mm-hmm. friends that are outside the poetry community that are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know... I, I, talking about formative years you know i spent 23 24 to 30 so far here so mm. i kind of grew up as an adult here yeah so it's uh you know yeah 
So why is Saskatoon is Saskatoon just home because of the people or is it the the place too? I think that um for the most part, like as I grew up, it was largely people that I could kind of help define as home. But I've I've, I've actually been I think I'm like because yeah, I have my parents are there. I have a brother and a sister in law there. I have lots of close friends, poetry friends there, friends that I've worked with, things like that. But I think for the past year, I've actually been like really kind of enjoying the way that you can really find a sense of home within just like the land itself. Like when I leave the prairies, like there's actually a poet in Regina that has a line that I really like. He was like, gotta leave home to write songs about it or something like that. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And it was just kind of like a little sweet thought and like very true about all poets. You know, you leave the prairies and all of a sudden you're like, dang, I miss like flat spaces. I miss like the sky being that big. Huh. Um, in that same way, I also miss like North Africa where I grew up. When I was in Orlando a little while ago for some training and, um, the air was humid and there was palm trees and people were out at night. And I was like, damn, I miss like the land mm-hmm. in North Africa, like the actual like space itself and how it felt to me. So, cause like, you know, how long were you living? Like, were you in one spot in North Africa or was it? Yeah. One spot in North, well, at least one city in North Africa for about four years. So, mm-hmm. so like that kind of, I don't know. Like, I feel like you have to stay a good amount of time to be able mm. to go like, mm, yeah, I miss yeah. that. Yeah. And those four years weren't even like the longest time, but it was, Ages 12 to 16, which are like, you know, the, the, the point where you transition from just being like a kid to being like, dang, like there's things wrong with the world. I get to form my own relationships. I get to make my own choices in life. And so that's why it was really important for me. Mm. And are you trying to find like, are you trying to find home again? Or is like, I know that you're doing some traveling now and, and mm. like, are you, I'll, I'll allow you to ask me the question in reverse in a second. But yeah. like, are you searching for a home now? Mm-hmm. That's actually been, <laughs> it was interesting again when I was trying to decide um, as I'm heading overseas, the, the reason for what I'm doing. I mean, like I uh, knew some folks who were like, ah, you're probably just trying to like search for back home again where you feel comfortable growing up. And as much as I think that, um, you know, you can't fault somebody for doing that. That's not why I'm doing it. And I think that if I was doing it for that reason, it wouldn't be great. It was interesting, right? Like I returned to where I grew up um, and it was uh, like a few years ago. Uh, and it was completely different than when I grow there. Like, I mean, you leave a space for a little while and you've changed as a person. Everybody there has changed as a person. The landscape has changed. There are new buildings. Some buildings are gone. And so, uh, I feel like, yeah, trying to like return to that same home you grew up with is usually a fruitless pursuit just because it's like, it's, it's not like sometimes it has the veneer of it, but it's not. Oh no, absolutely. Um, growing up, we went to, mm-hmm. uh, we would spend summers over in Greece, uh, at a, like a little town with mm-hmm. my aunt and uncle and, uh, went back there. I guess that was either no, I think it's two years ago now. It's yeah. over the summer, and it's different eyes. You just you walk into it, and totally. for some reason, you're like, "This felt like home for a really long time." But then, yeah, it's it's not even just the people have changed; it's you've changed, and it's you see the world in such a different way, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I also think of like uh, I don't know if you've gone to like this might have happened to you where you're like, mm. I remember this place being so much bigger. <laughs> yeah. All the time. You know, all and the you're time, just like, yeah. Oh, what, what is it even is this place? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what always gets me too is when you return to a place and it's like, you remember it bigger, but also like you remember it kinder. Yeah. You know, like you're there as a kid. And so things aren't always rose colored as a kid, but like oftentimes are. And then like you go back and you see a lot more like the insidious things. And like on one hand, it's like, it's hard, but on the other hand, it's good because like, that's what I think, incurs the desire to see things change or get better but that's kind of the fun is like okay yeah. how has it changed and i 
you know, mm. went back to Scotland last year and hadn't been there since 2009. And mm. one of the more interesting things, and uh, I'm sure you can speak to this too, is like how you've changed over the time. Yeah. How like I walked through a university that I spent four months in, and I was like, huh. Yeah. I think I was happier then yeah. or like yeah. life was simpler then or yeah. something like the, yeah. the, there was some sort of feel that was there that, uh, that had changed. And it was like one of this weird eerie, I yeah. wonder what that is. Well, I feel like that's nostalgia, isn't it? <sighs> I guess so. I, I don't I, know. I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm a little impartial, but I think, like, you know, sometimes like, you know how people are always like, oh, man, I remember the 90s. That was so dope and stuff like that. Or people are like, remember ages that they weren't even around for. And they're like, that would have been so dope. And it's like, well, also, like, you know, women's rights and, and rights of people in general were a lot worse, too. So, like, yeah. I feel like, you know, we have certain, like, elements to it. But, like, not, not applying that to necessarily your situation. But I feel like nostalgia is an interesting thing in that way. But, yeah, for you, how long ago was it between your two trips to Scotland, your two times uh, there? Seven years. So, uh, yeah, that's seven, eight years. Definitely long enough to change. Yeah, and again, transformative times, right? I yeah, went there when I was twenty nine, and I went there and mm-hmm. like I lived in Res when I was twenty one. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was twenty one, twenty two, and uh, and yeah, lived a lot of life. Yeah, uh, between those times, as you would, uh, I was gonna say, as you would hope. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ideally, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so moving right along with with random things. Yeah. Um, also, whenever I think of tea, sometimes I think of crumpets. Okay, tea okay. And crumpets. Nice. I dig it. I dig it. Got to have jam every once in a while. Yeah. Right? So uh, next one is what's your jam? So what's your jam? Well, that was like, a good segue. I dig yeah, it. Yeah. Well, you gotta get. <laughs> right. You gotta. You gotta. You, gotta, gotta <laughs> you know it's coming, but you don't know. Give it's the coming. folks what they want. Well, the irony is that like they don't know what it's coming because it's the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're gonna find a new segue every time. So. Oh, you got it. But that's half the fun. Is like, yeah. how is he gonna, you know, yeah. throw jam into conversation? Right? Um, so, so I wanted to kind of have like a, another like open-ended question, like what's your jam? And Mm -hmm. I I like to think of it in three ways. You can give me all three answers. You can give me one of the three, like, what do you geek out about? Or what's your favorite food slash jam? Or what's a song that you just can't get out of your head right now? Okay. I can do all three. I'll try and do the all three briefly then. Uh, You can do, we don't... (laughs) <laughs> we, have, we have all the time we in have the, world. the magic of editing in case it <laughs> ceases to disappear so no, that's, um yeah uh i would say okay things i geek out about yo i feel like this is also because i'm starved for it in saskatoon because there's like almost no hip-hop scene but like right. being able to sit down talk about hip-hop the place it should take within the literary world and the place it should take within like the world of activism and social change mm. and like the way it speaks for minoritized groups and the way that it can be used as an educational tool um i can like i could talk forever about that and always love going and even just like dissecting rhymes in different places around the world but like yeah things i see i geek out about um food or jam um yo we have this little sour cherry tree in the back of uh, our yard that my mom <laughs> had to like plant a tupperware container it planted in the tupperware container in the ground so we wouldn't mow over it in our lawnmower okay and so it survived and my grandma comes every year and picks it with my grandpa and they make sour cherry jam and that is mm. with like like big cherries in it too really like the best jam i have ever had <laughs> chunks of sour cherries in it so good yeah and song recently that i've been like really digging i feel like it's hard to choose like all-time jam but like recently um if i'm feeling real gnarly and don't always want to admit it earl sweatshirt like a song by him probably something like hive or something like i was just listening to that today and i was like oh man you make me want to like this so much um <laughs> okay what is it about i got okay do you know any of the history like earl sweatshirt 
that sounds like mildly familiar, but I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, who, why, like, okay, what is this person? Earl Sweatshirt is like he started out rapping because he he was a part of Odd Future, which I have very mixed opinions about. Tyler the Creator was a leader of it for a while, who again has been going through some interesting changes. But Earl Sweatshirt joined Odd Future when he was like a kid. He was probably like 15, 16, or something like that. Released an album called Doris, and then another one called I Don't Like Shit. I go I don't go outside. And Doris <laughs> was like like all his beats are dark and stripped down and his rhyme scheme is so complex and his images are just so brutal and raw and just like and honestly sometimes go a little too far for me but yeah. like that being said his technical skill and like Tyler Creator remember once said that like he thought like Earl Sweatshirt was like the best rapper alive and I don't know about that but like <laughs> dude has like insane skills for putting together rhyme schemes like you listen to just like a few bars and you're just like I need to go back through that and flip through it again yeah um and uh, so yeah, that that's kind of his that's kind of his backstory a okay. little bit there. I'm just um, trying to figure out why Earl. Like yeah, I th- I feel like honestly, like his first name is probably Earl. Like yeah. I could totally <laughs> see that sweatshirt. I have no idea why. Do you just look at him? You're like, you look like an Earl. Like <laughs> I, I, I could totally see that. Like I feel like now I do because that's all I've ever like <laughs> seeing his face. What I think of. Um, but other jam that's been recently that I'm really into. Um, uh, there's lots of things, but like Good Grief by Dessa. Um, okay. Dessa is from the Doomtree Collective down yeah. in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, Minneapolis, yeah, I think it's Minneapolis, and like it's just such a good song, and like the way she vibes between singing and rapping, and instrumental is done by Paper Tiger, who's just an awesome uh, beat maker. Yeah. Um, and so, and just like what what the song is talking about is really like deep and dope, and the way it's delivered is just so good. Oh, so, fair yeah. enough. No, and you were talking about uh, about hip hop and and education mm-hmm. and going through that because I think. Were you not in Africa like last year doing that same kind of oh, yeah. thing in South Africa? Am yeah, I? it was actually almost exactly two years ago now. I was in South Africa um, with a hip hop crew. And so they were largely dancers, but they also did spoken word. Mm. I was really the only rapper in the crew. Um, and I only like rapped kind of every now and then. I used that actually mainly because we were in South Africa uh, and going to schools where they would only speak Afrikaans. Okay. And so they couldn't even understand the English I was delivering. And, so, and you could still deliver a spoken word poem. They can appreciate the flow of it, the mm. way that you try and draw them in the magnitude. Um, but it was like really like going in and just like, I had this one song called Jabberwocky. Awesome. Where it's like, it's super old, but like it's, it's again, it's a take off the Jabberwocky poem by Lewis Carroll where like half of the words in it don't mean anything, but it's the way it sounds. You get what the, he's saying. And mm. so I wrote this hip hop piece where like majority of the images don't really mean anything, but like it sounds good. And so I would do that with them and like get them to like clap along and like increase the tempo as it went to see how fast I could rap. Uh, yeah. Um, and that was, that was really fun. And so like that was, uh, that was yeah, a lot more performative context than educational, but still yeah. really fun. Well, no, it makes me think of, uh, I think Nirvana did the same thing with their, mm-hmm. their songwriting. It Like, uh, Kurt Cobain, he didn't, he liked the way th- words sounded, but they didn't mm-hmm. really make any sense. Yeah. So I remember, yeah. like, I remember growing up and, and listening to, like, some songs, and I'm like, what does this even mean? Yeah. And then you realize later yeah. it's, it's not quite nonsense. Yeah. But it's, like, enough nonsense that you're like, ah. Uh, yes, yeah. You know, it's a little thing like that where you're like, hmm, that could have been a bunch of bullshit. But <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It probably isn't. Yeah, well, it's interesting when, like, especially within hip-hop, where, like, you have genres like like art rap and stuff like that, where, like, they'll deliver, you know, rappers like Open Mike Eagle or uh, especially Doomtree, where, like, they'll just spit things that sound so good and so dope, but, like, largely because, like, the flow, the impact, the way they put the rhyme schemes together. But oftentimes, if you really dissect it, it's like, no one can know what this means except for the person <laughs> who wrote it. But it still comes out as a dope song because the elements of the song are not just lyrical content, but also everything else. The lyrical content is important as a poet. But I obviously yeah. appreciate it. Well, this is what I'm going to ask. Like, I feel like whenever I write, I have these like intricacies in there that I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, 
I know why I'm writing about this. Mm, the person mm. who I'm writing about or like the story that I'm telling, they probably know it maybe if they were yeah. paying attention. Yeah. But isn't that kind of half the fun where you're just like, mm, you know, mm. I kind of have like little half chuckles to myself every once in a while where I'm like, hey, hey, nobody knows what this is about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and, and it kind of flows well into the next spot. Um, next segment i'm gonna stop calling them segments but i feel like I feel segments like, like a centipede well no it's uh i listened to a, a podcast called real good show as a buddy of mine back in vancouver okay. and they do a really they do a fun podcast it yeah. was ostensibly a uh uh whatchamacallit a sports podcast okay. and something i really respected about it was like they had these segments they made more sense because mm-hmm. it was like oh let's get questions from the internet or like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. audience ask questions or um one good thing which is like at the end of every episode they say one good thing they're happy about that week mm-hmm. and i thought it was a really nice way to, to kind of chop it up and to know mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. where you're, you're going along and i and it's never that i wanted it to end but like there's, there's that that completion mm-hmm. of a story mm-hmm. you know when you're just like you have that release of breath where you're like yes okay that's i'm coming to the end mm-hmm. and it's just like one of these exhales you're like ah <sighs> it's so um mm-hmm. So yeah, so the next segment uh, <laughs> uh, is one I'm calling show and tell. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my whole thought is that like, uh, even if you're not an artist, I have a lot of poet friends and they do poetry mm-hmm. um, and that's cool, but I have a lot of just really interesting, oh, it sounds so pompous. Uh, I have a lot of really interesting friends that are not artists <laughs> as well, <laughs> um, but they like, you know, they're, they're interesting people and they read interesting mm-hmm. things and I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll be listening to something. I'm like, okay, this is this is really interesting. I kind of want to mm-hmm. share either this fun fact or this new poem or this whatever. Yeah. And I, I imagine like the excitement you had when you were in mm-hmm. grade three, grade four. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, uh, show and tell is the next one, and and I'll, I'll start off just because we were talking about earlier about uh, writing poetry. Yeah, and I was uh, lucky enough to do a master class with Miles Hodges. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Who is uh, dope he was a youth poet that came up in the Bronx and, uh, and it's super cool being able to see other people and how they create. Mm-hmm. Um, and for two hours we talked about poetry and how it's synthesized and, and kind of mm-hmm. analyzing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for me, the show and teller, the, the interesting fact that I learned or the one that I'm going to take into my practice is, uh, is writing one line every time that scares you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I really believe that it'll allow you to grow as a writer and allow you to kind of understand mm. that and, and push yourself. Cause yeah. I know that there's in, in, you know, I have a tendency to try and be a little bit nicer maybe and, and a little bit more, um, in the line as much as maybe I, I should mm-hmm. like at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. So like writing a line that scares you or like, you know, having one line where you're like, I don't know if this is the right spot to put it. Yeah. Or I don't know yeah. if this is the right wording, but it, it's got a little bit of grime mm. to it. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's the, yeah. that's a lesson that I, I've learned recently that I'm like, okay, yeah, mm. I'm into it. I like that. I feel like it would make you, you have to commit to the performance more too. Cause I feel like it's so easy, especially when you have like, I don't know why, but for some reason, like if I have a hyper emotional piece, I'm more likely to phone it in because it's so hyper emotional. But if you have something that scares you, it's like, you got to commit or just like not say it at all. And then you just don't do the piece. And yeah. So, it's interesting. Yeah, and uh, I think that's it's a good way of doing it because that way you can actually make sure that you have something that you're just like, okay, this is kind of cool, um, but I uh, I think it's it's maybe a little bit too much. Or for me, it's like using language that maybe I shouldn't use. Uh, that sounds terrible. 
um, more like they're they're maybe a little bit more emotive or a little bit more um, mm, mm. a little bit more yeah uh, they evoke images that are maybe not the nicest where you're just like oh I don't know how I feel yeah. about that but like you know you gotta gotta hit the people in the feels yeah well I feel like it's it's interesting having that conversation is like like if I'm to be blunt like as two white dudes talking about writing what scares you <laughs> is is a different context than like if you were you know a person of color you're like a lady or something like that right because like yeah. for me like what scares me about my personhood like I'm gonna get into it like the things that like I could say like in an aesthetic sense would be sort of like oh man I talked about how I was in pain today and it's sort of like you know like that's important to talk about and go into but like if I was talking about like things that really scare me it's like like really uncomfortable and hard to put on stage it's like let's write a poem about the way that my brain has naturally accepted certain uh, you know, racial stereotypes in my head without even me thinking about it and how yeah. I need to dissect that and actually work through that, how my brain accepts privilege before I can consciously try and attack and go against it. Yeah. And so, and I feel like that's hard too to like discuss on stage in a way that's constructive in a way that, but I feel like that that's, I feel like that's where some of that fear can come in in terms of advancing things. Yeah. And it's important to have those conversations. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> I always think of like, oh yeah, we're two white dudes talking about uh, privilege, but it's, mm. it's one of those things that, uh, that I find needs to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, uh, I was watching a YouTube, uh, sorry, a Facebook video recently. Mm-hmm. I was talking about how like, um, you kind of have to accept your privilege before you can do anything about it, which I thought was a really interesting yeah. concept. You have to like internalize the idea that you do have privilege before yeah. you can kind of not yeah. change, but, um, be cognizant of it and, um, make space for people for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely like, there's definitely poems where I, I've sat there and I've wrote them and, and, uh, and I've just been like, Ooh, I don't know if I can, I can, you know, I can say that or, or if yeah. I know I, I know I can physically do it, but like, yeah. how does it feel to say it? And is it my place to say it? Yeah. Is it, you know, it's an interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like deconstructing privilege is hard. Cause I feel like, yeah, like one of those big steps that is hard for a lot of people, like probably hard for everyone, um, is like, the temptation not to present yourself as one of the like the quote unquote the good ones, right? Because oh. like like that's yeah that's where so much trouble comes from, and the people just like just to start with like you're I'm one of the good ones, so like I I think about it and I talk about it, but like I'm not a part of this. I remember I, you probably read this article, but it came out as a big think piece or something or another about um I think it was like largely I think of it about ally poems largely because like yeah. I have a lot of beef with a lot of ally poems. Yeah. Um. But it was talking about how sort of like like we don't need a poem of a white person being like, I'm sorry my uncle was racist. I'm going to be better for him. We need a poem going up there and being like, here is how I have interacted in this way. And like it's not that like white people shouldn't talk about race and men shouldn't talk about sexism. It's that like the way you approach it and the way you place yourself, the way you position yourself and your privilege. Yeah. But then also the conversation of taking up space is, is, a, is another oh, different another, thing too. No, and, and yeah. it's super interesting because it's, uh, it's something that's really – been prevalent in in the last like three four years as a mm-hmm. as a organizer of events in the city it's mm-hmm. just been like okay how do you how do you make sure these things happen but not yeah. take up the space in in your own way and it's been mm-hmm. it's been something i've been you know i can't quite put it as struggling with but like how do you make sure that uh that there is a space made for someone else and yeah and uh and to not take it up and yeah it's been, yeah, and um, and the other one is uh, another thing from Miles Hodges was um, deconstructing masculinity. 
Mm, which is a really other a really really interesting I'm all one. about that yeah what was he saying about it um just that he likes to really do it in his poetry and interrogates mm. himself often to understand like what it is to be a man and and yeah you know um you can take whatever angle you want you can yeah. take sexuality and how um men are are oh, uh, just needing to not needing to be but are more socialized to be aggressors yeah. in, in, in a sexual sense which is not a good thing yeah um you can take it from the emotional point of view where men are supposed to stand up and be strong at all points and yeah. and not show any emotions there's so many things that you know the whole concept of toxic masculinity is like yeah it's it's a totally a thing and Mm -hmm. i can see it in my own life and my own upbringing and and uh and and yeah and just seeing it like um where everyone is predisposed to whatever it is their biases are and it's really interesting to see where and why yeah um but yeah so that's kind of my spiel for show and tell miles miles hodges if if you're looking for uh for some good poetry he's got yeah. some, some pretty dope dope poems i dig that yeah 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 i don't feel like yeah that whole conversation on masculinity is so fascinating yeah and especially the way that like i don't know i just feel like yeah sometimes like like the 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 the, the variance ingredients dude is so interesting too because it's like you know being a non-toxic man doesn't just mean being soft necessarily and, yeah. but being soft is also dope and men should be able to be soft yeah but then also too sort of like being a non, I don't know. I just, I just find it interesting. One story I think about oftentimes. This is like partially to do with being a man, but also partially to do with uh, being straight. I was in a school. I'm a substitute teacher in Saskatoon. Was um, for the last like few months, and I was in this school where like the environment was so just like toxic and harsh. Okay. And like, like uh, just talking about the dude teachers specifically, there weren't very many of them, but all of them were the kind of guys that show up are like big dudes who yell, make sure everybody's sitting down and like. Like, I saw some stuff where I'm like, mm, that is not very ethical. But it's like they were doing it because they were afraid of the students getting out of line, which they were out of line. And what they're doing wasn't really helping, but they kept kind of trying to go for it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a pretty flamboyant person. I use my arms and my hands <laughs> and all of my body motions and yeah. faces and all that jazz. Um, and so I often have students be like, hey, you know, Mr. Reimer, are you gay? And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, no, I'm not. Is it because I'm flamboyant? And so this student asked me, and I was like, no. But like, is it because I'm flamboyant? And she's like, no, it's because you're nice. And I was like... <laughs> Damn! Like straight people have ruined that, right? Oh, like, wow. like I just think that's so interesting too. Is that sort of like how to represent that? Like even uh, and like not to sort of be like, oh my goodness, straight white men have such a hard time in this world. <laughs> but to be sort of like also like there's a whole different like element to that as well. That is sort of like representing that. I don't know. I just think that yeah, there's it's just it's it's such a fascinating conversation. It's so important. But well, yeah. it comes down to identity too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like how. Uh, Oh, this is going to sound terrible, but like, how do you identify as a white male? Yeah. You know how, and, and, uh, I, there are times where I have no idea where I'm just like, Mm. I I just kind of like crawl in the corner. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm just going to just, I'll be over here doing my, my thing and Mm -hmm. maybe it'll be cool. Hope so. (laughs) Um, I had kind of a similar situation recently with, uh, I was like, I have to try and find that Facebook uh, video because mm-hmm. it was it was one of those ones where I was yeah. like, "Damn!" Yeah, yeah, like a, yeah. When when you're like when you have you watch a video for four minutes and after that you're like, "I gotta I gotta share this with mm-hmm. someone that I'm having that kind of conversation with." Yeah, yeah. And uh, and it was it was interesting because uh, I'm I'm lucky enough to have uh, a girlfriend in my life that mm-hmm. uh, we have those kinds of conversations. Cool. Yes. Um, and I sent it to her, but I felt so awkward because I was mm-hmm. like. 
I'm sending you this video about masculinity and how men are, you know, they have to kind of like accept their privilege and accept their parts and, and yeah. they have to make sure that, that men are doing it. And the first thought in my head is like, what am I trying to do? Am I trying to prove to her that I'm one of the good guys? You know what I'm I mean? Hashtag like, woke. <laughs> hashtag woke. Yes. Um, yeah. But I sent it to her and I had to send this message going like, I I felt like this was a good video, but I I didn't mean mm. to send it as if it's like a a thing that you did. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I feel yeah. But it's it's um, I think it's just as important to uh, especially with with uh that kind of like with feminism and with uh, masculinity, mm. is to engage both sexes in the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think like and and not be um too reactive about it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the thing I, things I appreciate about a lot of the women in my life are uh, we can have those conversations mm -hmm. and they can be, you know, very powerful with their points and they allow me yeah. to uh, interrogate and, and express my points as well. And, and it's conversation as opposed to it's, mm -hmm. it's like listening to listen as opposed to, as opposed to listening to speak, which is mm -hmm. what I find that a lot of um, a lot of these discussions end up being at mm -hmm. times, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, I feel like it's it's tricky, right? Because like like on one hand, too, you can't like you can't expect somebody in a minoritized group to put in the emotional work. But on the other hand, too, like you can also just sort of be like, "Oh, it's okay, women. Like I got this. Let me just be the one to instruct people, right?" <laughs> like like it's it's a balance there. Yeah. And like that's a hard balance to strike, but yeah. Um, yeah, it is it is cool when you have you know people in your life that are that like have experienced the oppression from that firsthand, and like also guys experience a lot of negative effects from these things too as well. Totally. Yeah. Um, but that they're able, yeah, willing to like sit down and be like, yeah, let's chat about this. Yeah, and it's and you know again interrogating masculinity. This mm -hmm. is and, uh, it just sounds it sounds like something mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. everyone should already be doing, but they probably aren't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think it's like a really it's an interesting delve into yeah and i think it's it's a generational thing too i think of a generational i say this because um i'm the son of a greek mm -hmm. male yeah um and you can imagine then and you know maybe uh, i i see it a lot in, in the mediterranean and a lot of um the arab countries that yeah. like that there's a very dominant male point of view yeah um in in patriarchal like uh, the way that they live. Yeah. So like the, there is, they live in, in some form of injustice where men are superior. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and what's interesting is being able to look at the upbringing and look at, look at what his, his childhood was like and, and yeah. what things he imparted on me with respect to that. And, and, and for me, it's interrogating those things and going like, yeah. where the hell did that come from? Yeah. You know, yeah. not that it's, you know, love my pops. He did everything he's he's awesome mm -hmm. uh and it's and it's interesting to see where his point of view came from yeah. and how it colored my own yeah um, yeah in in this wild wild world but i say this because like i think that our generation is the first ones to kind of look at it yeah you know i don't think there was much discussion about masculinity up until probably Oh, like 60s, 70s. I'm throwing out random dates there, but yeah, yeah. you know, like I think it's a, a relatively recent thing. Maybe like mm -hmm. 80s, 90s. Yeah, probably comes uh, comes in with women's suffrage and whatnot. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, it's it's an interesting conversation that's continuing, and that I really encourage everyone to continue to have. I'm hoping that uh, I I love listening to podcasts because they always make me think about things, mm -hmm. and they always make me have like interesting conversations outside of 
you know, and like mm-hmm. I always end up with like really random fun facts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just like, okay, that's a fun fact. Or also like, here's just this interesting point of view I've never even thought of. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so so I think that that's what I'm hoping that this podcast will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you gonna show me? What you gonna tell me about? Um, I was trying to think, cause I don't want to like spit a whole poem or anything like that i was looking through my like tiny little book i just came from youth workshop youth speak ottawa every monday five to eight panos is a part of the thing and they're <laughs> dope i really enjoyed it it was sweet to be there i helped run youth stuff and at least used to run youth stuff in saskatoon so yeah cool to see how they did it I'm trying to look for like a cool idea that i came across recently yeah <laughs> and I, I don't i'm trying to think what is what is radio worthy what is what radio, is radio worthy? <laughs> well if we this is probably not going on the radio. You know that, right? Oh, man. This is going I, onto dreaming. the internet. Into the, into the internet. Into the internet? Well, you know what? Let's bump it up. Well, Ten years in the future. Gold standard. <laughs> we'll come back to it. Well, no. Like, uh, uh, Joe Rogan, uh, he talks about like having a podcast and, yeah. and how important it is to have uh, kind of produce your own stuff and mm-hmm. not be... Censored is the wrong word, but it's kind of the right word. It's mm-hmm. like there are topics that you will hear on podcasts that you could never hear on radio. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's like it, it has it gives yourself a little bit of not artistic freedom, but it gives yeah. yourself a little bit of like leeway to swear or have conversations about, you know, topics that you wouldn't necessarily hear. So yeah. if I'm honest, like if this ended up somehow on the radio, okay, sure. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it got extended out to a huge audience and that's cool i guess yeah yeah but it wouldn't you know i don't plan on editing this yeah there's no you know it's, it's a conversation it should have all of its imperfections in my yeah. eyes in there whereas if you do radio or some sort of other me like i can't think yeah. of another media that that is truly free mm. form yeah you know i think my thought to share um i really i had lots of thoughts but it's been interesting recently i think i was sitting at it was when I was at, I think, the Slam Adverse Fest, or maybe there was another Spoken Word event I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I first started Spoken Word Poetry in grade like 12 and got into like the competitive aspect, I really enjoyed competition, so I was super into it. I love the idea of excellence, and I love the idea of being the best, and I love the idea of making something worth remembering. And I remember I had to go through this whole crisis of sort of like, okay, what makes a piece of art valuable? And I was rating it a lot by how well it's remembered, things like that. Even mm-hmm. actually yesterday, I was watching Coco, which... Shouts out to Coco for being dope as hell. Yeah, good um, movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's my favorite Pixar, but it was so good. And like the one of the bases of the story is that sort of like after you die, if no one remembers you, you disappear to some other plane other than the afterlife. Huh. Um, and I was just sort of thinking about that. And like when I was a kid, yeah, like or at least when I was younger, I was like, yeah, like I want my poetry to be remembered. I want it to be important. I want it to be a part of things. And, you know, I was in university taking classes on the English canon, which. It's pretty elitist. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting thinking about like what makes art important in terms of the value and impact it has. Because uh, so much of that is like so much of that is related to privilege. So much of it is also just related to chance, right? Yeah. And some of it so much of it, like especially the people that like like Van Gogh, Wordsworth, Blake, things actually I don't know about Wordsworth, but definitely Blake, you know, aren't recognized while you're alive as well. And so that when I was younger, I, I switched to kind of like more the idea of like, okay, like the value doesn't come from changing everybody and having the highest number of change, but from changing at least one life and then it's changed something in the world and that has brought it value and that's all that I need. Yeah. And, and I've really appreciated that thought as a kid and I think it helped me just sort of like want to just keep making art and not be so overwhelmed by it. It's an interesting sitting now and being like, I feel like that also too brought a sense of complacency to my art. Like 
I, I feel like I lost the, the, the dream of like writing something truly memorable, which is hard because spoken word is an art that is meant to be impermanent. Yeah. Um, I sometimes have beef with, not, not beef, but like the way that we, uh, I, th- I have recordings of my own spoken word, so I can't say much about it, but I think that the, the beauty, one of the beauties of spoken word is that it's impermanent it's there and then it's gone. So it's just interesting trying to write something truly worth remembering. Yeah. And that was, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. It's like, um, it's like you need to have a sense of urgency for your poetry so that the poem itself mm-hmm. forces you to memorize it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, this is something that needs to be said. Yeah. Uh, and, and <laughs> I wish I could say that I have written that poem yet. Yeah. You know, yeah. like th- there is a bunch of poems. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is cool. I, yeah. I, I'm into this at this moment. Yeah. Um, but I like the idea of impermanence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, uh, again, I, I'm kind of fanboying over this masterclass because it was actually really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, it was talking about like artists are um, having a constant conversation and every poem is mm. just one snippet of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you think of poems in, in their impermanence, yeah. right, it's kind of like, hey, of course it's impermanent because it's only a part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. and you can only reflect that one moment that you yeah. were in at that moment. Yeah. Which is always like an interesting an interesting thought to me and I was like, okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, what's well, it's interesting thinking about too, like I don't know, I'm thinking about when I was at CFSW twenty fourteen or something like that. I think one of the poems that I most remember was Akenna was one of the poets of honor that CFSW and had a poem called There Will Be Blood. And I think it was called that because he repeated that a whole bunch of times. <laughs> um, but right. there was just one point, I think Jamie Goddard was playing piano and he just, he, rep- he I remember this one time he said, there will be blood. And I just don't even remember what the poem was about. <laughs> but if I'm to think of the poem I remember most in the world, it's that one. And just specifically that moment. And it's interesting teaching the students how to write something worth listening to or worth memory and stuff like that. And, and like, like sometimes I'll tell them, I'll be like straight up. I'm like, in the end, like a month from when you perform your poem, people probably won't remember. Like they might remember one line at most. Yeah. And at most, maybe they'll just remember a feeling they got. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. When you think about that as a piece of the continuum of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think of like some of the poems that, that stick in my mind are, mm-hmm. it's just like one mantra almost. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think of uh, Nathaniel Rochette. He has, uh, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite questions that I ask yeah. anyone that wants mm-hmm. to get a question asked to them. Cause it's yeah. like, it's a really interesting question. Cause it's yeah. like, okay, it's, it's not what would you do if you got a million dollars? Cause like, uh, consumerism bullshit. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting question because it's like, yeah. okay, well, if you knew you couldn't fail, mm-hmm. what would you do? Because yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of people that are in jobs or doing things that they don't particularly like. Yeah. And they're just afraid to step out. Yeah. And go like, okay, this might not work. Yeah. But what's stopping you from trying? Yeah. More often than not, it's not. There's some off or there's sometimes there's monetary issues, but yeah. more often than not, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to succeed in this. So I don't know if I want to risk it. Yeah. So what would you do? Ooh. Cause I feel like you probably have an answer if you've asked this question or thought about it. In the past. Uh, you were looking over at my lovely keyboard there. Yeah. Um, I would make music. Yeah. Um, and make music as a living, make music in your basement. What sort of making music? Uh, well, if I knew I couldn't fail, like I, I guess the implication is that, you know, I would be very, very secure in, in money and, and, so and so forth yeah yeah i think it would be make music for like 
hoping that people would go out and enjoy it. There's, mm. you know, a certain level mm. of pride that you have to take in making that that banger. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. But Being a banger if they don't dance to it. Yeah. It's nice to have other people engaged. So that's not an actual phrase or something <laughs> I necessarily live by. But I just think about sometimes, yeah, it's nice to have people dance to your music or get into it or like vibe with it. Yeah, it's it's the vibe. It's like the in, in any art form, if you're not creating some sort of an emotion, I'm not mm. going to say what are you doing, but like you should. I think that's one of the main things of art is that you're trying yeah. to create something that evokes an emotion. Yeah. Um, so if I could, I would have you know i'd be making music and i, I yeah. if i wasn't making music i'd be producing music because like just Ooh. hanging out with musicians yes and just being like i i'm a a, a big like i i love uh critique mm-hmm. supportive mm-hmm. critique but critique yeah. where you're like okay did you ever think about like speeding up that up a little bit or did you ever yeah. think about taking it this way as opposed to that way yeah, yeah. you know and and if you have just super talented people and you're like, y- that was incredible. Yeah. But here's like one small thing to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. What would you do if I you knew that. you couldn't fail? Um, I, I feel like I'm not a good answer to this question because I think I'm. I don't know. It's hard You're to doing answer. it. <laughs> I, I, that's what I was saying. I don't want to sound like it, like like just like an asshole, but but uh, like and like this, like what I'm doing right now isn't necessarily like the end goal. Um, but like like if I'm to say the end goal would be to set up an arts education organization overseas where I grew up and uh, work in spots where they don't have access to much arts education, and that's the goal. That's kind of like the step that I'm on. Uh, but where I'm on right now is just language study. Yeah. And so that's a part of it, but it's like that's like a long goal if it all succeeds. And so and that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen. But so. no, but that's, you know, you got to put the pieces in place. Mm-hmm. I think that like I always joke about uh, hustle, you know, um, a lot of the places that mm-hmm. I, I have ended up in life in general yeah. have been just because I happen to like something. And I'm like, all right, yeah. let me just. Let me try. Let me let me put yeah. Let me yeah, put exactly. some like let me put a couple steps forward. Yeah, and let's see where this goes. Yeah, um, and it's and it's you know constantly being open, uh, constantly being open to the world. Yeah, and yeah. open to the to the realm of possibility and and looking at failure and going like, well, that didn't quite work the way I wanted yeah. it to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but who knows what will happen with the next one? Yeah, you know maybe the next one will work. Yeah, but uh, but what you're doing, I imagine, is like putting all of the pieces in place. You s- you see this, you know, I I see it as a painting for some reason, and mm-hmm. it's a painting of this big landscape, and mm-hmm. you know, your language training is the clouds at this moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I use the clouds not as like a dreamer, but like you know, there's got to be clouds in the background. <laughs> yeah, there's probably clouds <laughs> in the picture. It's likely, <laughs> highly likely, highly likely. Maybe it's the trees. We'll say yes. it's the trees, Happy just because accidents. you know. I I think that it's awesome that you're um that you you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is is not necessarily the right expression mm-hmm. but it has the right intention it's like yeah you know you're you're going for what you think uh you want to do at this moment yeah and that's cool yeah i feel like it's also just cuz i had like simple ideas so sometimes it's yeah i don't know but just like simple yeah. like you know uh i think that the simple ideas are the ones that stick yeah yeah you know uh, I mean, the, the example, my most recent example is mm-hmm. um, trying to get uh, into master's in communications. Yeah. And it's like the simple idea is basically like, okay, I think science communications is really important. Yeah. I have a science background, so I got to get a, a communications background. Dope. Okay. So how do I do that? Yeah. Well, you could become a famous blogger. It takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Or you can go to school for it. 
I was working at the university at the time. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me apply. Mm-hmm. Didn't let me in. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, what do I need to do to get in? Take yeah. some communication courses. Okay. Yeah. Term by term. I took them. Now in the master's program. Yeah. So I apply again and I'm like, guys, I did what you asked. You want me in there? And I'm there. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's small things, you mm-hmm. know, step by step. Yeah. You know? There's a whole history of, of how I got to that realization. Yeah. Um, that comes that precedes that and that's kind of like the the fun story of life or the fun story of progression of an idea yeah but it starts with something simple it doesn't have to be anything too complex yeah you know and and it changes over time and that's also the beauty of it yeah you know at first i was like oh yeah science is cool and it's like okay science is still (laughs) cool but like teaching science is cool yeah yeah but do i really like teaching i do but who do I want to teach to? Yeah. You know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. and it's that, that like continuing that line of yeah. thought, which I imagine you like, why, why do you want to have like a, that kind of school? Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Why in, uh, why in another country? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, Hey, so you're in your master's of communication right now then. Hey, yes, sir. What, uh, like what, how many, how many years have you been in it for? Oh, it's, this is year one. This is year one. Hey. Yeah. It's second class. Oh, how has it been thus far? So, so good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just super interesting to, to be able to see how people, <laughs> how people communicate. Nice. Um, yes. And, uh, seeing a lot of the theories in communication and, mm-hmm. and just not, not having thought of a lot of the like internal, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of good examples at this moment, but my mind's, uh, to all the comms majors, they're probably like face palming mm. right now. Yeah. Um, but like the idea of how um, Morse code and how being able to actually like send messages yeah. over long distances, how that yeah. affected communication. Yeah, yeah. And how like, you know, um, reading a book right now, which is called Amusing Ourselves to Death because of one of the classes I'm taking, mm-hmm. is really interesting because it's like um, before the idea of being able to send messages over really long distances, yeah, you were able, um, you were unable to get news from mm-hmm. other places. Yeah. So the mentality of the community was like, whatever's going on here is what's most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you were able to get messages from far distances, now you've kind of like, I don't want to call it diluted news, but like you're no longer thinking about current events as much because you're mm-hmm. trying to find out, you know, you're in Boston, you want to find out what's going on in New York. Yeah. And you've kind of like... And now you've got this whole other stream of information that yeah. may or may not contribute to your life or contribute to what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but it's small things like that where you're like, I didn't even, you know, I would have never thought that like, yeah. you know, uh, being able to communicate across distances affected um, mm. the way that people consume news. Yeah. yeah. Or like what the effects of that is. Yeah. Um, so it's a really, it's a cool. That sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. And it's all what you take from it too. Yeah. You know, I imagine there are some people out there that, you know, people that are scientists that go on like, why, why would you, <laughs> that has no value. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, being curious with the world. And curious about how it works. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what, what got me into all of the craziness. I don't know. Yeah. I dig it. That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail is a good question. But there's also um, a school of life is something that I absolutely appreciate. It's um, Alan de Botton is one of my yeah. favorite uh, current philosophers. Yeah. He put together this like, he calls it the school of life. It's basically yeah. just emotional intelligence and trying to build that in all the different ways. And uh, I just unpack, or I'm in the process of unpacking my house, mm-hmm, mm. so uh, I don't actually have the box of questions. But oh, he has this box of a hundred yeah, yeah. questions mm. that I'm gonna get uh, future guests. Nice. To pull out of. Uh, but I just, 
I googled, you know, conversationstarters.com yeah. to give me a random question. Yeah. Um, uh, and who was the last person you had a good conversation with? Mm. Panos. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I knew that was coming and I was like, it's like uh, obviously, no, no, no. Let me, let me, let me. Last person actually would probably just be my brother last yeah. night. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah. We were having a great conversation about, it's actually interesting because like, like me and him are both. Uh, white dudes and we were talking about we'd both seen the black panther uh not too long ago and we were talking about like the place that like like people of privilege take within you know social revolutions revolutions in general the place uh you know and even just like we were talking about it, it's really interesting conversation but like like statistically like what has helped revolutions uh succeed over the past and i've been talking a lot with friends about that especially like post-arab spring lots of nations have been dealing with stuff like that so it was yeah. really fascinating conversation okay so one of the funny thoughts I had after mm-hmm. watching Black Panther yeah. is like, I mean, it's it's incredible that there's all these people of color in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, you had to have one white guy. Like that, that was my first, yeah. I walked out of there. I'm like, come on. Like, yeah, you yeah, had yeah. to have one. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like they're not the, like there shouldn't have been any. Yeah. <laughs> you know? One thing I saw online that I thought was, because there were two white guys. That's there true. was Andy Serkis and um, Martin, Martin Freeman. Yeah. We're both from Lord of the Rings. They said they're the the, the, the Tolkien white guys. Oh. I was like, hey, hey, that's a pun. That's good. Okay, okay. That is a good one. But yeah. I found out later that you know the char- both characters are actually in the comics themselves. So it's not like... Yes. I, yeah. I think the reason why I had like a qualm with it is because yep. Hollywood is so white. Yes. And I'm yeah. like, okay, this is a great film. And mm. you had to throw in a white guy. Yeah. Whereas this is... It's more like yeah. it was already in the comics. So it, yeah. it kind of... Well, I was kind of curious too as to how they'd play that, like speci- specifically Martin Freeman's character. Yeah. Um, because like, and like, and again, I feel like the, a conversation about racial politics, as much as it should center around uh, the voices of, of, of you know POC. Um, there, I remember the, the moment where Martin Freeman was in this little blaster thing and he's trying to fire on the spaceships and he's and this other spaceship comes down and it's about to shoot him in the face and he's yeah. about to die. I thought they would kill him off because I was like, okay, here's a movie where like the one white character dies <laughs> instead of just. And I was I was like kind of into that, yeah. you know, not like I was like he needed to die, but I was like, okay, let's see, you know, the roles don't necessarily just need to be reversed, but like it was cool to see a a white character more in that position. But yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Yeah. No, it's a, uh, it's, it's a really, and I'm just super happy that it's, it's not that it's starting to happen, but you can mm-hmm. see, you know, diversity in Hollywood. You can see diversity in, in media. Yeah. You know, you can see that, you know, that there's, there's, and, and it's being successful. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the Hollywood and, and media in general is, is super white and it's, it's mm-hmm. nice to see like, sorry, it's super white male. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you look at, there's, there's metrics in, in how much men speak in comparison to how much women speak. Yeah. There's actually like yeah. lists of movies that um that show mm-hmm. like the where the women are the dominant speakers in the yeah. movie. And I think it's yeah. really cool that A, we can find those metrics. Gotta yeah. love the internet and gotta yes. love uh, data analysis. Yeah, yeah. Um but that uh that you know we're cognizant of that. Yeah. And uh and yeah. And it's it's just a really interesting uh interesting time to live <laughs> yeah um so we're coming on the home stretch nice last segment nice uh some of them calling famous last words yeah um i say famous last words because i don't know i, I like the the epicness of it but it's mm-hmm. also just like uh, if you wanted to leave the audience even if it's three people mm-hmm. with something deep or something shallow or something yeah. like what, what would be the last 
things that you would leave them with? Yeah. I can go first if you... You, you go ahead and go first. I'm trying to think of a way to phrase what I'm thinking of. Um, the first thing that comes to mind uh, is uh, don't worry, be happy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not because uh, Bob Marley's awesome, but I think of myself as a uh, an overthinker. And mm-hmm. I find myself uh, thinking myself into sadness or into depression mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it's kind of like, you know, don't worry, be happy and trust the process. Yeah. Eventually, either it will happen exactly the way that you think it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's not. And it's probably not because yeah. the mind is a wonderfully wicked thing. Yeah. Um, but it probably won't. Mm. And what does worrying about it? do for you yeah yeah not much so don't worry be happy and trust the process yeah i dig it i dig it um oh man i'm just even thinking that actually relates to some of my tattoos i was thinking of just dropping one of those um sure i'll just relate mine to yours then too i have a tattoo on my left arm that's a measurement of my forearm and the reason i got it is because it related to uh certain line of uh psychotherapy called reality therapy i believe and inside it there's this thing called choice theory where um it doesn't it doesn't concern itself with freudian things like your past and what led up to it though it recognizes that that has an impact on you um because you can't control your past and the point of it is focus only on what you can control not because the things you can't control can't hurt you but because the things you can control are you know, redundant, logically, the only thing you can control, so spending time on anything else um, won't help. Um, and so that's those thinking relating that to mental illness, right? You know, you relate that to you can't control your swings often, you can't control your chemicals, but you can control what you do with those emotions, you control with what environment and what friends you surround yourself with, you know, with your happiness. I mean, oftentimes we go through cycles of life where it's just like not necessarily an option for that time. And you can't control that, but what you can control is you know, what you choose to do in that time or what sort of things you accomplish. But yeah, I feel like those are my, my last thoughts. I think that's a really nice place to leave it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, thanks a lot for agreeing to be, of course, uh, you know, like you pop in out of nowhere, like, Hey dash, you want to come do a yes. podcast? You want to come do some weird things? Always. Um, let's see if, uh, you know, let's see if we can, we can make this work. Yeah. You know? and I think, I think we made it work. I think so. Thank you for having me on, Pan. It was no. delicious to be here. <laughs> delicious. It was delicious to be here. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, have a good night. Mm-hmm. <laughs>